0: We're starting a new series today in the book of Daniel. It is awesome. The book of Daniel is awesome. The Bible is awesome as well. The book of Daniel is is awesome. It will be a great follow-up to our Kingdom of God series this summer. And uh, I'm going to make the same kind of plea to you that I did uh, last year. See, Outward Church doesn't necessarily run on a, a you know, January to December timeline. We, there. There's a lot of people in school here, and so it's really from uh, you know late uh, you know August, late August, early September uh, through through June, and then everybody goes away uh, when the weather gets nice. And it's not, that's not even June; that's earlier than that. May, I guess, is the month that precedes that. So, in any case, uh, what, here's what I want to here's what I want to encourage you to go to church. You need to be at church. It's not about us having more butts in the seats. It's about you and your spiritual development. Go to church. Don't make excuses about not going to church. Go to church. Be at church. Engage in community. Listen to the preaching of the word. And grow as a Christian. Don't be somebody who is just occasional attender, that kind of thing. God has called you to a community. He's called you to a people. I want to invite you to that, and I also want to communicate to you that this is what it means to be a believer, that you attend a local body of believers. That could be on a Sunday. It could be on any day of the week, but you attend a local body of believers that you are known, and uh, and you know other people, and so I want to encourage you In that, as we start this year, make a commitment to that. For those of you that just began college, it's very easy to go chase the girl or the guy at whatever church that they say that they're going to right then. How about you be the solid uh, believer in that relationship and just say, I go here, and if you want to hang out with me, I'll be at that church, wherever that is. It may not be here. Uh, Maybe go to your regular church. Maybe you're just trying this out this morning. Whatever it is, find a church, stick at it, stay there, go regularly, don't just bounce around. Um, Here we are. We're in Daniel chapter 1. I think most of us don't realize the state of the union, as it were, in America. We don't realize uh, where we are at right now um, as as a country. Uh, What's deceiving is the the words on our money that say, in God we trust. Uh, It's deceiving because there is a sense in which we on some level, believe that we are a Christian nation. Many of us are, are probably wising up to the reality that we are increasingly becoming less of a Christian nation. I would submit to you uh, that we have uh, possibly never been Wholeheartedly Christian. There are Judeo Christian values that, that were inserted into our political system at, in the early days of our country, and, and those are good things. Those are grace from God. Some of those people may have been Christians and so forth, but what has not helped us is the idea that we believe that we're in a Christian nation. And what has increasingly taken Place and we talk about this regularly is because I believe that this is the biggest problem that we have as Christians: our complacency, our uh, our lack of effort to to even be at church. Uh, sometimes on on a Sunday or to to give on any level, even though that is just a key component of what it means to be a believer. Our lack of desire to even read the Bible, our our lack of of, of hope in God, um, the way that we're swayed when we when something bad happens. Now we're going to blame God. Oh, I thought you were sovereign. Now you're letting this happen, and we d- we don't even get into the theology of that. So this ridiculous theology sometimes. That kind of plays into that. But that's American Christianity. It's just like, it's, it's, it's uh, guilt by association. It's like, yeah, I'm, I'm a Christian. I kind of associate with those people, but I'm not necessarily in on that. But the thing that we don't see and that we don't realize and what's really hurting us is that we're not really seeing where we're at today. We're not really seeing uh, the reality behind what America is, what America actually is and what's happening here. We don't see it. And some of us uh, have the, the hope that we are going to be saved by uh, what is happening, or what we're hoping will happen in the next political cycle, or through this, this political cycle, through this president. We're hoping that somehow that's going to change things, and the foolishness of that is... is it, it it's, it's astounding when you read the Word, but you wouldn't know that if you don't read the Word and you don't hear the Word of God taught. And so what we're not seeing is we're not seeing our world for what it really is. Let me just give you some things that are happening right now in The Atlantic. There's an article recently called, uh, that says, uh, have smartphones destroyed a generation? And it's essentially saying that smartphones have destroyed a generation, That when the iPhone came out, like something started happening in the data. It says this, The advent of the smartphone and its cousin the tablet was followed quickly by hand-wringing about the deleterious effects of screen time. But the impact of these devices has not been fully appreciated. It goes far beyond the usual concerns about curtailed attention spans. The arrival of the smartphone has radically changed every aspect of teenagers' lives. From the nature of their social interactions to their mental health, these changes have affected young people in every corner of the nation and in every type of household. It goes on to say this, the results could not be clearer. Teens who spend more time than average on-screen activities are more likely to be unhappy. And those who spend more time than average on non-screen activities are more likely to be Uh, To be happy, I think I said that wrong. Uh, That spend more time than average on screen activities are more likely to be unhappy than those who spend uh, more time on non-screen activities. the uh, The author says this: There's not a single exception. All screen activities are linked to less happiness, and all non-screen activities are linked to more uh, more happiness. It goes on to say that suicide is increasing. It says this, Girls have borne the brunt of the rise in depressive symptoms among today's teens. Boys' um, depressive symptoms increased by 21% from 2012 to 2015, while girls increased by 50% more than twice as much. The rise in suicide, too, is more pronounced among girls, although the rate increased for both sexes. Three times as many 12 to 14 year old girls killed themselves in 2015 as in 2007, compared with twice as many boys. Do you see what's happening? Like the next generation right now, they're killing themselves. The, the, the good thing is this they're, they're killing each other less. But the, the bad thing is this, that they're killing uh, themselves more. There's depression and all of this stuff. And do you think that's isolated to just teenagers? Oh, their brains aren't, aren't uh, functioning well, so that's just what they're doing. Do you think that's just isolated towards teenagers? I don't believe so. There's something happening. Something's unraveling. If it wasn't clear before, it's, it's becoming more clear now. There is a generation of people out there that are hurting Big time, many of, uh, who, uh, of which are in this room right now. What's happening? Do we live in a Christian nation? Do we live in the midst of, of that? Do we live in the midst of something that, like, it's okay. We, we, we have this, this, this freedom and, and so forth. Another article says this. Are atheists the new campus crusaders? says secular groups on college campuses are proliferating. The Ohio-based Secular Student Alliance, which is uh, which a USA Today writer once called a Godless Campus Crusade for Christ, incorporated as a nonprofit in 2001. By 2007, 80 campus groups had affiliated with them, 100 by 2008, 174 by 2009, and today we are uh, there are 394 SSA groups, student groups on campuses across the country. The secularization, the realization that people do not want to be affiliated with religion. And I would say this. I don't think that this is just a growing trend. I think people are coming clean with what really is going on in their hearts. They're actually telling the truth about where they stand, finally. Just recently, Governor Brown signed into law uh, the uh, the law that says that... Um, That we have to offer free abortions for all, including illegal aliens. Every day, every day, what's going on? This world is becoming less and less free. Oh, there's freedom because I've got technology in my hand. Why would you hold back progress? Why would you keep something from somebody? It's just them expressing their identity. It's creating depression across the map, and people are dying. That's why. I don't believe in that law. Okay, look at the results of not living by that law. Kids are being killed right and left through abortion. Sexuality is pervasive in our society outside of marriage between a man and a woman. And what's, what's going on is, is, is this, is that we're left in the middle and we're saying, how do we respond to this? How do we respond in the midst of everything that's going on. Because I, I believe that this is just the beginning. Just reading a, a book recently that was just talking about uh, the progress of movements, that nations that once were thriving, uh, dwind- thriving as, as Christian nations in a sense, so many Christians and, and so forth, that uh, sooner or later dwindled down to, it, it's almost like there's not even one left. I think that it's possible that that could be America. America. That The center of evangelicalism is moving away from America. It's moving more towards Asia and South America. It's moving away from, from where we are. And it, am, I, am I preaching a sermon here that's based on how do we get the center of American evangelicalism back? No. I'm saying, how do we respond? How do we respond? In Psalm 137, it's an interesting, interesting a series of verses. I'm going to get to Daniel here in just a second. It says, by the waters of Babylon, by the waters of Babylon. It, what, what's this psalm depicting? It's saying Israel is not in its home, homeland. It's in Babylon. It is, it is being taken away. They're in the mixed, uh, midst of being taken to exile. It says, by the waters of Babylon, there we sat down and wept, when we remembered Zion, we remembered our hometown. On the willows there, we hung up our lyres, our musical instruments. We just hung thing. We just hung them up. It's, I mean, there's just depression that's going on there. It's just what's going on here? For there our captors required of us songs, and our tormentors mirth or joy, saying, "Sing us." One of the songs of Zion. <laughs> Here, their kidnappers take them away and just say, "Hey, play me one of them ditties you guys got back there." Like, like, like I get a line, I got you know, let's just let's be happy. And and they're like, "Dude, you just took me from my home. You just, I am not where I'm supposed to be." And they say, "How shall we sing the Lord's song in a foreign land? How can we sing?" The Lord's song in a foreign land, how are they going to sing God's song in the midst of a foreign land? And I need to tell you this, that that's the question that we need to be asking. But you know what? We are so foolish sometimes, I am so foolish sometimes, that I do not recognize that I am, I am not in Christen, Christendom. I'm not in a Christian nation. I am not in a place, and I'm not saying that persecution is so bad. It's pretty plush right now for Christians, still, when you look at the rest of the world. But the reality is that I'm not in Christendom. That I, I'm really in Babylon. And every day, new rules, new laws are being put into, into effect. And it's, it's not just that. It's not just that you believe differently. It's that you're wrong, you're a bigot, you're hateful, whatever else. All of those things. How do we sing the Lord's song in the midst of Babylon? Well, first of all, we need to realize where we're at. We need to realize where we're at. We need to understand what's going on. Look at Daniel chapter 1, verse 1 with me, if you would. says this, in the third year of the king, uh, I'm sorry, in the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it, he attacked it, and the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand with some of the vessels of the house of God and he brought them to the land of Shinar to the house of his god and placed the vessels in the treasury of his god not the real god a false god verse 3 then the king commanded Ashpenaz his chief eunuch to bring some of the people of Israel both of the royal family and of the nobility youths without blemish of good appearance And skillful in all wisdom, endowed with knowledge, understanding learning, and competent to stand in the king's palace and to teach them the literature and language of the Chaldeans. The king assigned to them a daily portion of the food that the king ate and of the wine that he drank. They were to be educated for three years. And at the end of that time, they were to stand before the king. Among these were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah of the tribe of Judah. And the chief of the eunuchs gave them names. Daniel he called Belteshazzar. Hananiah he called Shadrach. Mishael he called Meshach. And Azariah he called Abednego. Abednego. I'm pretty sure that Azariah was thinking, man, what's my new name going to be? What's going to be like Blake or or, or Tom? Just something more simple. And they're like, Abednego. And he's like, really? What the heck? What's going on here? What's going on is that we're looking at the life of, of Daniel. We're looking at the life of Daniel and his friends. And what's taking place is that they're a part of those people that were taken Uh, from Judah, from God's people Israel. They were taken from there when Nebuchadnezzar came and attacked them. And they were taken from there and they were put into this foreign land. They were put into this foreign land. And as a result, what was going to take place was that the king was going to utilize these guys and he was going to integrate into them all of the things that have to do with Babylonian culture, He was going to make them into Babylonians. Now, why would he do this? Why would he take people, take his enemy? It's like going to ISIS and saying, hey, why don't you come over and, uh, you know, go to, you know, one of our universities and we're going to train you and, and all of that stuff. It seems foreign to us, doesn't it? But Nebuchadnezzar was a pretty wise king. And his deal was this, that he would go into a country and instead of just trying to control it and dominate it and create like these concentration camp type things, he took the best of the best out of there. And he did this on a couple of different occasions where he went in there and he took the best of the royal family. He took these young men and these guys were probably uh, in their mid-teens. That's about when uh, school started in, in Babylonian culture, so they, the scholars believe that that's how old they were. But they were part of the royal family. These guys were part of the royal family or nobility. And so they had everything as they were growing up, and they had learned a lot and so forth. And so uh, Nebuchadnezzar goes in there. He takes these, these kids out of there, And he decides that he is going uh, to raise them up into this culture. And the reason for doing this is that instead of absolutely subjugating these people that he's attacked, he's going to infiltrate them. He's going to infiltrate them. Because when you subjugate, it takes much more military power. You have to stand there. you got to make sure that they don't do things, that they don't congregate. But what he does, he takes the best of the best. He takes the leaders. And he's going to infiltrate their lives and perhaps send them back out so that he has this, uh, you know, this nation that is completely unified with these people that he's trained. He's got his guys in there now and so forth. And so that was his deal. And so the question is, how uh, are Daniel and Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego going to respond to this? What's their response? Well, there's two possible responses uh, or at least two that could be there. And the two possible responses are really found in the book of Jeremiah. If you look there with me in Jeremiah uh, chapter 28. And what's happening in Jeremiah is you're, you're hearing the story outside of Babylon, you're hearing this back in Judah, and this is what's happening with the people that are still there. What's taking place there right here, right, right now? Their people have been taken away. They're in captivity. There's a bunch of the nation that's off in Babylon, and so what are they going to do. And so this is what it says in Jeremiah chapter 28. It says, In that same year, at the beginning of the reign of Zedekiah, king of Judah, in the fifth month of the fourth year, Hananiah, the son of Azur, the prophet from Gibeon, spoke to me in the house of the Lord in the presence of the priests and all the people saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts. So here is a guy named Hananiah. He's a prophet, and he is going to prophesy. And what's he going to say? He's going to say, Thus says the Lord of hosts. God says this, Hey guys, I heard from God. This is what he's saying. Here's what's going to happen. He says, I have broken the yoke of the king of Babylon. He's broken. He's done for. It's, it's almost over. Within two years, I will bring back to this place all the vessels of the Lord's house, which Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, took away from this place and carried to Babylon. I will also bring back to this place uh, Jeconiah, the son of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, and all the exiles from Judah who went to Babylon, declares the Lord, for I will break the yoke of the king of Babylon. So you got a prophet Who's in their own hometown, near around the same period, and he's saying, "Just two more years, just hang on. There's two more years. We'll get our guy in office. Just two more years. We'll get the right Republican. You know what? We're going to get an independent. So he's got some of that social justice stuff from the liberals, and then he's also got you know some of that uh, you know business savvy from the conservatives, right?" Just two more years, and everything's going to be fine. It's all going to be over. If we just get the right person in office, it's just going to be two more years. Thus says the Lord. And what's what's Jeremiah, the actual prophet, say? Because this is in the book of Jeremiah. Uh, It says this in verse 12 in Jeremiah chapter 28. Sometime after the prophet Hananiah had... um, had broken the yoke bars from off the neck of Jeremiah, the prophet, the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah. Go tell Hananiah, thus says the Lord, you have broken wooden bars, but you have made in their place bars of iron. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, I have put you on the neck of these nations an iron yoke to serve Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, and they shall serve him. For I have given to him, and even to the beast, of, uh, given uh, to him, even the beast of the field. And Jeremiah the prophet said to the prophet Hananiah, "Listen, Hananiah, the Lord has not sent you, and you have made this people trust in a lie. Therefore, thus says the Lord: Behold, I will remove you from the face of the earth." This year you shall die because you have uttered rebellion against the Lord. Oh, wow. Not only what you're saying is wrong, but you're dead, mate, dude. You're dead. And what's he saying there? He's saying, I've put this into place. I've put this judgment into place. They are like iron bars. It's not coming off. This is what's going to happen. If you go to Jeremiah 29 and you skip down to verse 11, read this. It says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans uh, for welfare and not for evil, to give you hope and a future. Then you'll call upon me and come to pray pray to me, and and I'll hear you. See, we often skip to that. We often skip to those verses. It's on a lot of coffee cups. It's on a lot of camp t-shirts. It's on a lot of things. And do you know what's not explained? I have put you under this exile. These are like iron bars. It's not coming off. It's my judgment, God says. This is the way that it is. The foolishness of American Christianity is to go... That sounds good. All right. Let's print that. Let's preach that. And never look at the context. Never look at the context. How many of us have made that our life verse and not realized that God's plans were for them to be in exile or for them to be under a brutal, brutal dictator? Do you have hope in God like that? How do you sing the songs of the Lord when you're in the midst of exile? How how do we live life? Jeremiah's prophecy, this is the real prophecy. Jeremiah says to the the captives in Babylon, says uh, in verse 4 of chapter 29 of Jeremiah, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. It's a consistent theme. You're there because I put you there. I sent you there. What should they do? Go create a uh, Jewish enclave where you guys can worship, stay away from people, don't get involved, just, just hunker down, do do what it takes to just stay away from the culture don't allow it to affect you stay separate that's not what it says he says in verse 5 build houses and live in them you should build a house in that neighborhood yeah get comfy it's going to be a while guys Build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease. Okay, all right, fine. We'll live in the land, but I'm not going to like it. I'm just going to be there. I'm going to speak out against everything I can. I'm not going to join in with this hedonism, all all this stuff that's going on. No, but the prophecy keeps going. But seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile. Okay, all right, I'll do some things for it, but that's it. I'll, you know, I'll... I'll kind of, you know, trying to participate, or go serve the, you know, serve in the soup kitchen once a a, a year, and then uh, and then and then we're good. No, but seek the welfare of the city where I've sent you into exile, and I don't just want you to want uh, for this city the, their welfare. Like I, I don't just want you to to desire that things go well for them. But I want you to seek after it, and I want you to work towards it. And not only that, I want you to pray for these people. Pray to the Lord on his behalf, for in its welfare, you will find your welfare. I want you to go into that city, and I want you to build a house, and I want you to make a family. And I, and I, I want you to plant a garden Put down deep roots, man. Bring up your family there. Just get comfortable because it's going to be a long time. You're not coming out for a long time. But what I want from you is I want you to seek after their welfare. After their welfare. And I want you to pray to that city. Not to the city, but for the city. I want you to pray for that city, and I want you to pray that things go well for them. And then it says in verse 8, For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Do not let your prophets and your diviners who are among you deceive you, and do not listen to the dreams that they dream, for it is a lie that they are prophesying to you in my name. For I did not send them, declares the Lord, Then read this in verse 10. For thus says the Lord, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you and I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you. What what do we just hear there? There is a long succession of all those guys are wrong. You should get comfortable. You're going to be here for 70 years. Oh, and by the way, I've got plans for you. I... (laughs) To prosper you and not to harm you. I'm in exile, God. Have you seen where I am? Do you know what I'm in the midst of? You have plans for me? God, have you seen my life? Do you see the people that are after me? Do you see them trying to take my business? Do you see my marriage falling apart? Do you see what I'm having to put up with at work? Do you see, do you see, do you see, God, where are you? How can I sing the songs of God when I'm in the midst of Babylon? Daniel's going to show us along with his friends. And it starts with this. It says, in the third year of the reign of of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. So that's history. We're just talking about history right there. Nebuchadnezzar came and did this. That's what happened. What's the underlying story? And the Lord gave. You should underline that. You should highlight it. You should just look at it and just say, let's just get real acquainted with what this book is about. The Lord did it. The Lord is doing it. The Lord is in the midst of it. The Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Jerusalem, into his hand. And not only that, God gave this over. He allowed this to happen. He had it prophesied. He told those people, I'm going to send you to Babylon. They just didn't listen, they didn't listen, they didn't listen, they didn't listen. They're just like all Christian people for all time. You get comfortable, you get comfortable in the midst of life, you get a good paycheck, you you find a fairly good marriage, at least for the first few years, your starter marriage, and you go, you know what? That's not a thing, by the way, I don't know if you know that. Uh, It is a thing in America, but it's not a real thing. You just get comfortable. You go to school and you think, you know, I just, all I care about is the degree that I get and where that's going to lead me in life. All, all that I care about. You start to get comfortable. I could get comfortable as I complete my house that I've been uh, renovating. You could get, get comfortable. And in some ways, I'm just, I'm just going, God, don't let me be comfortable in the midst of this. Get fat and sassy, because I'm not working anymore in my house. Don't have things to, you know, no pressures to really pray about necessarily. And I'm just going, God, what, like, I don't, I don't want to be that guy. I don't want to be that pastor. I don't want to be that Christian person That I'm just, I'm happy with what I make financially, I'm comfortable in my house, and in some ways I'm like, God, I really don't want to be on the shores of Babylon. I just spent a lot of time, uh, the river of Babylon, I should say. I spent a lot of time working on my house, I don't want to move, I don't think God's calling me to move, I don't have nowhere to go, Uh, no one else wants to hear me preach, I don't know why you're here, but... um, but I'm still thinking, like, God, like, am I just gonna get comfortable when I run out of things to pray about? And, and the answer to that is yes. And so, like, looking ahead in advance, what can we say? We can say this like, God's people thrive under God's admonishment. God's people thrive, in many cases, under God's discipline. God's people thrive in exile. God's people thrive in the midst of things that are coming apart. Why? Because at the end of the day, the only thing that they have to hope in is God because they're not in their homeland. They don't have their paycheck anymore. They don't have familiar surroundings. They don't have family. They don't have any of these things. And God is the only one And so God is gracious to you when he isolates you. Not not away from Christian people. When he takes away, when he strips away your stuff, our stuff. When he takes away our comfort of political Christians. People who talk about their faith only when it's election time oh, that was a very good statement about about Jesus and whatnot. How come I've never heard you say that before? Because you're a politician. You take away the comfort of that. Like, you're you're not in a Christian nation. You're not in in the midst of of comfort and whatnot. You are in exile, and you just don't know it, and it's the worst place to be. You're in exile. You're in a place that's, that's coming apart at the seams, and you and I are starting to believe the crud that's being thrown at us. And look at, uh, look at their life. Look at what's happening. It says, and they brought them to Sh- the land of Shinar. What's Shinar? Shinar is, uh, if you look at Genesis, uh, at Genesis 11, that's where the Tower of Babel was built. The Tower of Babel, if you don't know the story, is basically, it is man's further attempt to release, itself or release themselves from God and say, let's make a name for ourselves. Let's do this on our own without God. Let's build a life on something else other than God. That's the land of Shinar. That's why the author says, Shinar there, because they're in Babylon, and, and he's saying, by the way, he's taking them to the same place where this has happened before. They built the Tower of Babel there. This is Babylon. It's Shinar. But I'm reminding you of what happened in Genesis chapter 11. That humanity is always trying to build its identity, its success on themselves. Let's make a name for ourselves. Let's do something. And if you're in school right now and that's what you're doing, I'm going to make a name for myself. I hope God dashes your desires to pieces because it will be the best thing for you. I hope you find yourself in exile. If you're in the midst of the comfy American Christian life, I hope he dashes your life to pieces and you realize that you're in the land of Shinar, you're in the midst of this, and you are participating with everything that they're doing. God's graciousness to you is his sovereignty in all circumstances as he takes things away one thing after another. They're in the land of Shinar, and to the house of his god, this is a false god, probably Marduk or Baal or whatever, and placed the vessels in the treasury of his god. They've taken holy instruments and put them into an unholy place. The things that were used in the temple and brought them to these uh, idol worshipping temples. Verse three. Then the king commanded Ashpenaz, the chief eunuch, to bring some of the people of Israel, but the royal family and the nobility, youths without blemish, of good appearance, and skillful in wisdom, endowed with knowledge, understanding, learning, competent to stand in the king's palace and to teach them the literature and language of the Chaldeans. That word Chaldeans is important. It has to do with it can be reminding people of, of witchcraft, the things of those days, divination. This stuff that goes along with the, the common teachings of those days, that this is, this is, this were, these were their wise men and their, their diviners and their people, you know, it's basically witchcraft on some level. But that's, that's why it says Chaldeans. Chaldeans is another word, Chaldea is in Babylon, but it's another way to refer to Babylon. And so what we believe is that the author is saying, hey, these are, they're, they're going to teach them the ways of like American culture. They're going to go into the seediest parts of the world, uh, the parts of America, and they're just going to show them. Here's how pornography works. Here's how all all of, like, capitalism at its its worst works. They're just going to get them into all of this stuff, the literature, the, the life, the Netflix shows, the, you know, whatever. They're just going to show them. American culture, they're going to ingrain this in them. And these guys, they're good-looking guys. They could be the dudes on Baywatch running, you know? I mean, just like the Pecs, David Hasselhoff. I mean, didn't he? Yeah. That was a few years ago, right? Um, It's probably Channing Tatum. I hate that guy. Um, I don't pray for him. I'll pray for the rest of Babylon, but not Channing Tatum. These guys are good looking. They're hot. It just felt so weird saying that. Um, <laughs> why would I say that? Why? Why would I do that? But um, they're they're good. They're good looking. They're <laughs> um, in their culture. They, they've just been cultured. They've had they've had everything, and they. Uh, and they're, they're getting some privilege here. And they're being brought into this house. And they're being brought into the, the king's court, in essence. And they've got a lot of knowledge and understanding. And people are seeing that in them. What's happening? They've taken them out of their homeland. And he's isolating them. He's isolating them. Take them away from everything that they've ever known. Take them away from that stuff. Bring them into this land. Let them be the cream of the crop of all of these people, and let's isolate them. Separate them from their community, from their people, and let's see what happens. Let's see what takes place. You're in exile, just like Daniel and his three friends. You're not home yet, you're not with Jesus. You're in exile, we are all in exile if you're a believer here. And the first thing that we don't see is that we don't see that we are in exile. We're in our home country, we're we're where we think we belong. But we don't belong here. And somehow the world is trying to isolate us. The second thing that's taking place here is that they are indoctrinating them? Sinclair Ferguson has four things that are. I need to mention him um, here, and I'm, I'm using his his statements here. But they're indoctrinating them. They are uh, programming them. They're bringing them propaganda. And what's what's the programming? The propaganda? The teaching? It's just the ethos of the life that they live in. It's the TV shows. It's the literature of their day. It's what makes them Babylonians. It's like this is this is this is. There's some things that are only funny to Americans. You know, when another culture comes here and they do they do what we perceive to be as weird. We just get like you just don't know the culture. You just don't understand what we do. We just don't do that here. We just don't act that way. But they're they're being indoctrinated and 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 infiltrated and so what's what's the key here guess what you get to come into the royal palace you're the cream of the crop we're going to teach you we're going to send you to school for free you get whatever whatever you want and then what else It says in verse 5, the king assigned to them a daily portion of the food that the king ate and of the wine that he drank. So he's not only, you know, bringing them, isolating them, not only is he indoctrinating them, but he's also giving them every opportunity for compromise. He's giving them every opportunity for compromise. Think about the homeschool kid, nothing against homeschoolers, we love them, um, uh, uh, and sometimes we have good jokes about them, but we also love them and, and whatnot. Ryan, who's one of our worship leaders, actually the worship leader, and then um, our executive pastor as well, he was a homeschooler, so we like to razz him a little bit. But think about the homeschooler who leaves uh, from senior year at home and, um, and then goes, goes, I don't know why that was funny, but um, goes, to, uh, <laughs> goes to college and gets into like state college life. Like, it's just like, woo! Um, you know, it's just, just go wild. I've never been around these things before. I've never been a part of it. Think about the opportunities that these guys had. These are good Jewish boys from Israel who have always lived by the Torah. They, they've lived by their parents' rule. And what, what Babylon and what Nebuchadnezzar is betting on is that you bring them into my place, you, you give them this teaching, you give them whatever they want, this incredible food. It may or may not have been kosher, so they may or may not have been able to eat it or something along those lines, but you give it to them, and you know, they're coming my way. They're, they're, they're going to be there. And guess what? Our culture is doing that to us, between isolating and indoctrinating and, and giving us opportunities for compromise. Compromise. And compromise looks like this. It's like, you know, it's, it's continually sacrificing the word of God because everybody else says, you're mean and you're a bigot. It's continually looking at the word of God and just saying, you know, the word of God is kind of out of date. And so we need to improve upon that. Like the absurdity, the arrogance of that is phenomenal. It's absolutely phenomenal how arrogant that is. And yet there's pastors and people who, who claim to be theologians who will tell you this. That, you know, you're, you're, just, you're being left behind in history. Like, you're just a fundamentalist. You need to compromise. You need to say, this is what people want now. That's what they should do. How do you respond to that? How do you sing the songs of God in the midst of Babylon when everybody else has got something else playing in the background? How do you sing the songs of God in the midst of that? And then lastly, is this, is that he's looking to confuse them. It says that their names were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah of the tribe of Judah. In those days, their names meant something. It was was a connection with their God. This is the God that I serve. This This is who I am. And so their names are changed from essentially saying something about Yahweh, which is the name of God, the Christian God, the name of God is Yahweh. Instead of saying something about Yahweh or our, our, our God, it says something about Baal or Marduk. And so their names were changed because of this. If I can change your identity, if I can change your name, if you can look at your name and you can change this, then things will be different for you. Are you in the middle of Babylon and not realizing it, you're isolated, indoctrinated, in the midst of compromise, in the midst of confusion. You don't know what to believe because you feel like an extremist, possibly. Well, I have good news for you that I'll share more over the next couple of weeks, several weeks. And that is that God is the one who's sovereign. And when you side with the people that are trying to indoctrinate you, you're on the wrong side of eternity. Not just history, but eternity. But he sent somebody to tell us this, and his name is Jesus who came down and experienced the isolation. He experienced the efforts towards indoctrination. He experienced what it's like to be tempted with compromise. He experienced what it's like to be tempted with confusion. And yet at every step of the way, he looked to his father and said, not my will, but thy will be done. And so the first place that we have to begin is this, is that when God says, I put you there in exile, how do you respond? How do you respond? Do you respond like Jesus and say, not my will, but thy will be done? Are you going to respond like many Christians today will respond and will fall away, and you will be left alone and isolated because they compromised, and they got indoctrinated, and they got... And they got, and they got. And I would venture to say, I think many, many so called believers today are in this position. Jesus wasn't affected, he experienced it all, and yet he went to the cross for me and you to pay for that. If that's where you're at, I've, I've been compromising, I've been letting my guard down, I've been indoctrinated, I've allowed myself to slip in these ways. Jesus went to the cross for that sin he was crucified so that you could be saved. He was crucified for your compromise. Let's pray. Lord God, we want to pray and just ask that you would, um, oh God, convict us of where we're at today. Lord, there's many of us that are, that are in this room that... Um, that we see the areas where we've we've compromised, we've been indoctrinated. Some of us are just kind of fighting back at those things. We don't we don't want to be called a fundamentalist. We 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 want to look at this teaching and say and say, This is this is ludicrous. Why would we why would we talk like this? Why would we be so countercultural? And it's because you were Lord Jesus. You were countercultural. You, you did not go along with everyone else. You lived by the power of your spirit. Lord, you live such a difficult life, and yet you live perfectly. So, Lord, may we rejoice in your perfection. May we rejoice in what in what you're going to do. Lord, I'm 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 praying for a line in the sand to be drawn this morning there's so many of us in our faith here today that have that have given ourselves over to uh, not to holiness but to American Christianity which is not Christianity and we and we have just compromised on, on every level And the only things that we pray about are whether the bills are gonna get paid. Lord, sometimes the only things that I really care about is is my comfort. That's when I start praying. And God, I just don't want that. And Lord, I'm wondering if there's other people in this room right now that, that would say, I just don't want that. Lord, I'm wondering if there's people on the podcast that would say, I just don't want that. just, I want to live like Jesus who really is better than Daniel. I want to live like him. I don't just want to say that I follow him. I want to live like him. So God, would you stir in our hearts right now a desire for holiness? Not just for the sake of being holy and by no means so that we can point the finger at other people but but so that we can walk in your statutes. Lord, may we may we joy over. May we rejoice in your righteousness for us. And Lord, may we may we rejoice in our efforts and even our successes. Lord, may we repent over our failures. God, would you make us holy as we start this series? Would you make this Place holy. Lord God, would you would you bring us wholly devoted to you? Lord, I'm praying for everyone in this room. There's people in this room that don't want that, don't don't care. They'll walk out of here and they're gonna forget. God, would you do it in their lives? Would you cause them to want something that they didn't want when they walked in? That's what we're praying for. It's in your name we pray. Amen.